Welcome to Catechesis, also known as Cats and Jesus. Catechesis is Greek for teaching, and that's what our hosts, Reverend James Goodlett and Reverend Adam Roberts, will do with this podcast, Teach. Each week, they will study, discuss, and dissect the week's scripture and spoken word. Catechesis is a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Welcome your hosts, James and Adam. Welcome to Catechesis, or Cats and Cheeses, however you want to dub this up-and-coming podcast. My name is James Goodlett. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church in studio with Leighton Parker, producer and director of all things Lewis and Broad. And also, Wilson the dog is in the house today. Welcome, Wilson. Good to have you. Adam Roberts is not with us. He will be rejoining us towards the end of July. Look forward to having him back. If you'd like to hear other podcasts of Lewis and Broad, go to lewisandbroad.org, including the thing that started it all, the Lewis and Broad podcast, season four. is coming up. I'm sitting here looking at a whiteboard with plans for season four in the offing. We've got some great stuff coming. Can't wait to tell you more about it. Check us out on our social media and website. Social media at Lewis and Broad. Hope to engage y'all, have conversations with y'all there. And our scripture for the week is potentially one of the top 10 most well-known scriptures by Christians and non-Christians alike, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And so we're just going to dive right on in. Now, last week I did a podcast on 2 Kings that needed a lot of background because I'm just operating under the presumption that 2 Kings isn't as well-known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. I could be wrong there. I know that there's some Second Kings experts out there. But this parable, easily recited by many a faithful and non-faithful person alike. But in case it is new to you, let's just talk a little bit about it. Starts off, verse 25, with the Two words, just then. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Now, this is one of those things where, as an interpreter of the scriptures, it's easy to gloss over it, but just then, just when? What was going on here? Well, the disciples, the apostles, Jesus, they were all actually in a pretty good mood. They had been sent out, the disciples, to do the Lord's bidding, and they came back to report that things were going quite well. Quite well indeed. The first 24 verses of Luke's 10th chapter says to us, Jesus gives us instructions for how to go out and to do the work. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And so he sends his workers out into the harvest And they return, actually 70 of them, because the Lord had appointed 70 other people. 
So it's not just the 12, it's 70. But anyways, they come back and they say, oh my goodness, you will not believe it. Of course, Jesus believes it. But anyways, even the demons submit to us. And they all rejoice. And Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says to them privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Just then... A lawyer, an expert in all things Torah, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And Jesus says to him, this is not a direct quote. This is classic example of eisegesis, a fancy seminary word for reading something into the text. Jesus says to him, you're the expert. What's written in the law? What do you read there? You, you know this. And the lawyer answers, again, lawyer, Torah expert. Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, yeah, okay. There it is. Do this and you will live. But then it says in verse 29 that this lawyer wanted a little bit more. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to place himself up on a pedestal, say, look at me. I'm so righteous. And so he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Presumably because he wanted to be able to say to Jesus, well, I love those people just as you say I should. But then Jesus does something so very Jesus. I love it when Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't just explicitly state, well, lawyer, here are your neighbors. Letter A, letter B, letter C. These are the people. Now, Jesus does something different. Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells them a story, a parable, about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a wilderness road, wilderness road, road should bring up all kinds of connotations. Things happen. It's a dangerous path. And lo and behold, the man falls into the Hands of robbers who strip him, beat him, and leave him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. Oh, well. For those who are listening to the story for the very first time, they're probably thinking to themselves, ah, oh, the priest did the right thing. This is our religious leadership here. They're always right. But no, the priest... Passes by on the other side. The Levite does the same thing. Surely this man will treat this poor, beaten soul, dying on the roadside. Surely he'll do something. Nope, he doesn't do anything. 
Ah, but then the Samaritan comes along. And when he saw him, he was the one moved with pity. Now, this would have surprised listeners in the first century. Luke's original audience. Samaritans and Jews. They had a tricky relationship. They weren't altogether friendly with one another. That is not to say they were completely separate or separated. They just butted heads. Surely the Samaritan would do the same thing, if not worse, than the priest or the Levite, right? Nope. He's the one moved with pity. And the things he does for this victim, extravagant, bandages his wounds, pours oil on them, pours wine on them. Wine is, oil and wine really are cues for abundance in scripture. Pours oil and wine on them, then puts them on his own animal, brings them to an end, takes care of them. Next day offers to pay to ensure that this man is taken care of by an innkeeper. I will repay you whatever you spend. This is a lavish generosity bestowed upon this complete stranger by the Samaritan. And then Jesus circles back. So, Mr. Lawyer, Mr. Torah expert, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Notice what Jesus does here. The original question that the lawyer asked him was, who is my neighbor? Jesus does not really explicitly answer that question here. It's almost like he presumes that the lawyer should know the answer to the question. Who's your neighbor? Well, even such as these, this man who was lying left for dead on the road. He's your neighbor. That's not the question that Jesus directly responds to. He nuances it differently. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? In other words, how does one act neighborly? Not so much who is your neighbor, but how do you act? Everybody's your neighbor, especially the least of these. But this is how you're supposed to treat them. You know, the people that you walk around, the people you avoid. They're your neighbors. So how do you treat them? The one who showed him mercy, the lawyer says, and Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. 
I have to tell y'all. There seems to be some synergy in my mind between last week's scripture and, and this week. Last week's scripture, if you didn't hear, go listen to last week's podcast. You can also listen to Kerygma, our weekly preaching podcast, to hear the sermon from July the 3rd about a military commander who had named Naaman who had to cross boundaries to go get healed. It was only after he crossed into the territory of his enemy that is when he was healed. Here we have a Samaritan crossing the boundaries of appropriateness and intimacy to be sure that this Samaritan, or rather, that this person is taken care of. He was a Samaritan, the one who was doing the mending, the healing. He crossed boundaries to ensure that this stranger was cared for. And as I'm processing all of this, and I I would invite you to process it with me, I can't help but think of how utterly complicated July the 4th was was for me this year. At 10 a.m. on July the 4th, I had on a red, white, and blue hat my kids were dressed to the nines and all their American garb we went to the parade 10 a.m. here in LaGrange Georgia not knowing that at 10 a.m. at a parade no different than ours but in a different section of the country Someone would open fire on the crowd there. Then that night, my wife and kids and I, we went and watched a fireworks show. Not knowing that at that very same time, someone opened fire at a fireworks show in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, where this whole July 4th thing started. It was complicated for me to celebrate the Independence Day of a country that I know and love when we clearly don't know how to treat our neighbors in this country. Now, I'm not trying to paint in broad strokes. There are some great people, wonderful people in this country. There are some great neighbors in this country. In fact, on Sunday, I'm leaving for a couple weeks. I'm going to study up at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary where one of the alums of that Seminary happens to be a Reverend Fred Rogers, who himself centered his life around being a good neighbor. But it is 
incredibly frustrating that in this country that is full of good people, we cannot figure out a way to ensure the safety and security of all our neighbors. It is infuriating. Infuriating to think that though my wife and children and I went to a parade that morning and saw fireworks that night, we apparently were not safe. It is enraging. And it is to this context and to this country and to this church to whom Jesus is preaching. The reality is this, is that we more than likely, at least in part, may identify with the Levites and the priests of the world, choosing instead to walk by the other side and avoid any potential danger any potential risk inherent within loving our neighbor. And yet we still have to figure out a way to take the necessary risks, to do the right sorts of things to be good neighbors to one another. Even if those risks involve our own reputations. Jesus does not tell us just who our neighbors are. That is assumed. Everybody is our neighbors, especially the vulnerable and the lost Jesus also is telling us how we must treat them lavishly with extravagant generosity. And it's not just the people to the lawyer's point when he asks who's my neighbor seeking to justify himself. Our neighbors are the most difficult people in the world to love. Perhaps even the most dangerous. We have to go out of our way and disrupt our days, perhaps even our ways of living when it comes to loving our neighbors. We as a church, as a country, as a community of people, of human beings. Have to figure out a better way to being good neighbors. Because Jesus himself says, not just to the lawyer, but to us, go and do likewise. So that concludes this week's entree point.
to the scripture for the week. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Listen, I'd love to hear what you think about it. This is meant to be a conversation. It is not meant to be a directive or a decree. So I would love to hear what y'all think. And I would love for y'all to engage us on our social media channels at Lewis and Broad on Facebook, Instagram, and online on our website at lewisandbroad.org. The next couple weeks, catechesis will be provided for you by the Reverend Laura Neely. And then I will return with the Reverend Dr. Adam Roberts at the end of July. We look forward to it. As always, remember who and whose you are, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Follow along on our social media and our websites at fpclagrange.org and lewisandbroad.org. Until next week.